0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Thank you, Maureen. And good evening to everyone. It's nice to be here. I'm going to start with just a short reading. The Art of Meditation Removes Separation so that we can return to our basic nature and truly know it. Meditation has nothing whatsoever to do with self-improvement. It is an extraordinarily deep, prayerful experience, and its purpose is to become one with the cosmic Buddha. People so often think that meditation is about self-improvement. And so it can be a little surprising, a little jarring, when someone says it has nothing whatsoever to do with self-improvement. That's not the aim. That doesn't mean that we won't change in positive ways. But the meditation is not about self-improvement. So tonight, I want to talk a bit about truth, or truths, honesty, authenticity, integrity. And I'd like to suggest that tonight, uh, as we talk and have discussion, be the beginning or the catalyst for you to explore truth. I will share some of my thoughts and ideas and then it's up to you to explore what is true for you. What does truth mean? And there are two main points that I'm going to make. One is that truth is dynamic. It is not static. It is not one thing. And the other is looking at what does it mean to be our authentic selves? Or what is our true nature? So, the first thing I want to suggest is that our beliefs, our views, are not Truth Often we think they are. We think because we think it or because we believe it makes it true. But it doesn't. Our beliefs and views are just that. their views and beliefs, their ideas. They may have truth, um, but they are not truth. And that can be a big one for us to accept because, as I say, we're so accustomed to thinking that sometimes we think if we think it, that makes it true. I remember I heard early on, over and over again, that our thoughts were not necessarily true. And, you know, I heard it, it went in, and then all of a sudden one day the light went on. <laughs> oh, just because I think it doesn't make it true. It's just a thought. It might be true, but it might not. And the same with our beliefs and our views. They might be true, but they might not. But we have a tendency to hold, to cling so tightly to our views and ideas, and forget that there are many perspectives, many ways of seeing things. And when we grasp too tightly, when we hold too tightly to a certain view or views that's when conflict arises. I hold tightly to mine, you hold tightly to yours, and we butt heads. And unfortunately, sometimes it leads to real hostility and eventually war. And we think that we have to have these views, and do we have to hold tightly to them? If we don't, it feels like there's no ground. But if, but if I don't believe this, then, then, then <laughs> what? <laughs> and so we tend to latch on because, oh, okay, there's some relief. We feel like we have something to hold on to. But this practice encourages us not to cling to anything and to see clearly that our views, our ideas, are just that, just views and ideas, and be open to them not being solid or being true or changing and if it's uncomfortable if it feels like there's no ground then that's what we get to wrestle with we get to practice with letting go letting go of our ideas our beliefs about <coughs> about how things are or how things should be. And learn to be with the discomfort. It's amazing. We actually can be with a lot more discomfort than we think we can. And it can become a way of living more freely. Because any time we cling to anything, we're not free. And so learning to live with an open mind, a mind that doesn't settle on anything, it can hold everything, but it doesn't settle on anything, can be a much more free and enriching way to live. Our truths are constantly changing, or maybe a better word is expanding. As we learn, as we gather more data, more information, more experience, etc., then what we hold to be true evolves. It changes. It's not that reality changes, but our understanding of reality changes. You know, the Dalai Lama has said if science proves Buddhism wrong, then Buddhism must change. That's pretty radical for a spiritual leader to say. Most traditions tend to see it the other way around, that science has to change. (laughs) They've got the idea, and science must change. But the Dalai Lama says, if science proves something wrong, then Buddhism must change. Now, I don't know what there is about Buddhism that would be proven wrong, because it's not a dogma. It's not a belief system. But what's important is that perspective... That uh, willingness on his part to suggest that Buddhism has to stay relevant or current with what is being shown to be true. It's another way of not, another way of saying, not to hold on to our beliefs or our views or our ideas too tightly. So we see all the time through medicine, through archaeology, through uh, geology, religion, astronomy, things are always being revealed. Things are always changing. And sometimes that's pretty frustrating. Just when we think we know something then <laughs> somehow new information comes along and shows that that's not true. So how do we how do we hold all this new information um, and keep an open mind? We're taught in this practice to not turn away from anything. That there is nothing that is not acceptable. There is nothing that is not okay. We can face it all. And we can learn to use our discriminating wisdom, um, our discernment when we take in new information and see does it fit does it work into our perception our experience it doesn't you know it doesn't mean that everything that's new is automatically correct it may not be. There's a lot of new information that comes in that we discover isn't correct. So having an open mind doesn't mean that, that we automatically take it in. But it also doesn't mean, or it does mean, that we don't automatically reject whatever it is, we can hold it and see. Well, let me see. Let me see if this turns out to work, if this turns out to be uh, something I can accept. Does it work in my experience, in, in, my, uh, <clears throat> in my life? You know, in Buddhist practice, the way we determine what is skillful and what is not is by seeing does it lead to more suffering or does it lead away from suffering. This is how we can mm, use our experience, our discriminating wisdom, to see what what is skillful, what is helpful, what is uh, workable, and what is not. So we learn to listen deeply, listen carefully, to see things as clearly, as we can. Buddhism doesn't tell us what we should see. It suggests how we can see things more clearly. And by seeing things more clearly, then we can determine what is skillful, what is truth, what is the truth as I know it right now because it may change. It undoubtedly will change. Somebody suggested the other day that, um, you know, there was a time when people were very sure that the earth was flat. And they felt that they, they knew it had been proven and they were completely convinced. And then, of course, it was shown that the earth is not flat. It's round. And some people had a very, very difficult time accepting that. Even though it seemed to be uh, genuine science, uh, people had held so tightly to the belief that the earth was flat that they couldn't adapt. They couldn't let in the new information. So I hesitated for a moment because... Uh, the man that was sitting there earlier just told me that he—he's a professor at San Jose State, and he spoke with someone today who told him seriously that he believes the world is flat. <laughs> yeah. I said, "Where has he been living?" <laughs> I don't—I don't know. I don't know what you know, what the context was or whatever. But I was quite taken aback that, that somebody would still, in apparent seriousness, suggest that the world is flat. <laughs> as far as I know, there's no, <laughs> no evidence. Somebody the other day also said uh, that at the end of the 19th century that there was a physicist who proclaimed that we now knew everything there was to know about physics. <laughs> that was it. Done. We, we had explored everything, and everything when there was to be known about physics was known. Well, of course, now <laughs> we realize how much has changed in the last century and how much more we know about physics than we did a hundred years ago. But those are just examples of how easy it is to think that what we know now is it. That's the way it is. It's not changeable. You know, we have studied, or we have experimented, or whatever, and we have learned, and this is... How it is immutable truth, but how many times does it change? How many times has medicine suggested this is how it is this this is the cause or this is whatever, you know, whatever, and um, only to be shown a couple decades later that whoops) <laughs> That's not true after all. So I have to tell you a funny personal story. I went to a dermatologist a couple days ago, and um, I have had, I think, at least three, if not four, skin cancers that have been removed. I, I love the sun. I always have. So I used to spend hours and hours out in the sun, and I have very light, Scandinavian skin. (laughs) So, you know, it's no wonder that I've had skin cancer. So um, the dermatologist said to me, so what is it that you like about the sun? And I said, everything. (laughs) I said, I think the sun is healing. And of course, he looked at me kind of askance. And he said, "Well, well, do you wear a hat? I said, yeah, mostly. Well, do you use sunscreen? And I said, no, on my face, I usually do. And I think he didn't know what to say. And I said, but you know, we don't know what all those chemicals in the sunscreen are doing. And I have to give him credit. That's why I'm telling the story. He said, well, from what we know right now, it seems pretty safe. And I thanked him. I said, that's absolutely right. From what we know right now, it seems pretty safe. That doesn't mean, you know, 10 or 20 years from now we won't discover that that some little chemical (laughs) that we thought was so safe isn't so safe after all because that's what keeps happening, right? And so it's not that he's wrong. It's not that I'm wrong either. But can we be open to each other's views? Can we be open to the, uh, I love the way he said it, that from what we know right now, this seems to be true. And that leaves the possibility from, for what we know down the road to change, to be different. So another rather dramatic example that I have is this country was founded as a democracy. And our founders went to war to be sure that we could have this democracy, no more kings. And at some point we determined that communism was bad. Communism was evil, in fact. So democracy is good, communism is evil. And by and large, everybody lined up, yeah, right, right. So that in the 50s, again, we nearly went to war (laughs) over the spread of communism. We were so afraid that communism was spreading. Of course, when we spread democracy, that's okay. That's fine. (laughs) Now, we might all have certain beliefs about democracy or communism. But if we look carefully at each of them, can we see that there are advantages and there are disadvantages? And that it's not within the, the belief system itself, but how it's implemented. How, how is communism implemented? It has some actually very uh, compassionate and uh, uh, lovely ideas about how we could live together. And if we look at democracy, you know, it has some advantages. Uh, Right now it has an awful lot of disadvantages. (laughs) Can we realistically, can we see the advantages and disadvantages? Because if we don't, if we don't, if we hold too tightly, we risk again going to war and the next time there's a war we may not survive (laughs) so again we learn to listen carefully and deeply we learn to see as clearly and with as much wisdom as we can and we take in information, and we, we discover our own truth. So through our practice, through our clear-seeing, we determine what is my truth. And my truth might be the same as your truth, or it might be different. But it's my truth because I have studied it. I have seen it as clearly as possible. And I have discerned that this is what is true for me. Then can we appreciate each other's truths without having to make one correct and one wrong, or bad, or whatever. The Buddha, you know, suggested that we don't take anything because he said so, or any other teacher says so, or it's written down, but that we check it out for ourselves. That puts a lot of responsibility on us. And it's also very radical. Again, I don't know any other tradition where the teacher says, you know, don't believe this just because I say so. Check it out. He said, I think you'll find that this is true. But check it out. Check it out for yourself when I was much younger, I wouldn't have appreciated that (laughs) because I wanted to be told. I wanted to just take it in. Now I very much appreciate it that nobody's force-feeding me, (laughs) you know, that the teachings are here and it's up to me to use them. So, Let me turn to authenticity, another facet of truth or truths. And let me share with you what Pema Chodron says. Our true nature is not some ideal that we have to live up to. It's who we are right now. And that's what we can make friends with and celebrate who we are right now. Spirituality is being mindful right now. It is loving who you are and how you are in every moment. It is learning to make friends again and again with our shameful parts, our confusing parts, our wild parts, our silly parts, the whole of ourselves right now. I love that, including the shameful parts, the silly parts, (laughs) the parts that we may not often appreciate. But that is who we are. And our job is to be fully who we are. Each of us has a path. Each of us has um, a way of being in this world. We have different talents, we have different likes and dislikes and etc. And it creates a, uh, a path. Deepak Chopra would say we each have a Dharma. <laughs> we each have a we have something within us that wants to be expressed, that wants to be lived. And our job is to be that, to live that. So recently I heard um, Joan Viskupic interviewed a couple of times on NPR and PBS. She has written a book about our Chief Justice, John Roberts, And she talks about how when the Affordable Care Act was being, um, uh, I don't know, would you say adjudicated? Is that the right word? Anyway, was being um, uh, reviewed by the Supreme Court. John Roberts came in with one way of seeing it. And after listening to the arguments... He changed his mind. And then there was more deliberation, more arguments, more deliberation. And he changed his mind again. Twice he changed his mind. He had three different perspectives. Well, of course, you can imagine his Republican colleagues were <laughs> very upset with him. And his Democratic colleagues thought, you know, who is this guy? You can't, you can't believe him. You can't trust him. But the way uh, Joan described it sounded very authentic and actually made me appreciate him. He was willing to listen carefully and deeply and let it in and change his view even though he knew it would not be well received by his colleagues (laughs) on either side. And twice he did that. And for me, it makes me respect the man uh, much more. Some might say, oh, he's wishy-washy, or he's too weak, or whatever. The way she described it, it didn't sound that way at all. It sounded very authentic, that this was a man that, with an open mind that was willing to listen. And when he was convinced that how he saw it first was wrong, he was willing to change. That's the kind of person I appreciate on the Supreme Court. That's the kind of person I appreciate. He he has strong views, no doubt, you know, he's not a weak man. But with those strong views, he has an open mind and he's willing to let in new information and change. And can we likewise be who we are, truly, at every moment? And so we may be this way in this moment, we may be happy in this moment, and two hours later we may be sad, or we may be angry, or we may be something else. And that all may be very authentic. That is actually what's happening inside of us. Now, we don't need to go around, perhaps, telling everybody, oh, I'm happy now, oh, I'm sad now, or whatever. But we acknowledge to ourselves. We are true to ourselves or real with ourselves. And we acknowledge how we are in this moment. That is a person we can trust. And you can usually feel it, can't you? You can usually feel when someone is authentic, when someone is being true to themselves. And you can usually tell when someone isn't being true to themselves, when someone is trying to be someone or something other than who they are. So... A quote from a book on the Tao. You could labor 10 years under a master trying to decide whether the teachings are true. But all you might have learned is one must live one's own life. One must live one's own life. We can't be somebody else. We must be who we are. For some people that's quite obvious and for other people you know it takes time. They they can spend many years discovering who they are or allowing who they are to come forth. So Why is it so difficult sometimes for us to be authentically ourselves? There's probably many reasons, but one that came to my mind is fear. We often fear being who we are because we may not be liked, we may not be loved, we may not be successful, we may be scorned, we may not be accepted, And perhaps we don't trust that deeper self, that deeper experience. Or we don't trust life living through us. Sometimes we feel we have to be what society expects of us. I certainly did when I was younger. Sometimes we feel we have to be true to our group, our religion, our ethnicity, whatever our group is. And if our group believes this, then we have to believe that. Or if our group does this, then we have to do that. Then we get categorized. We get labeled. And it can be a trap. It keeps us... Caught in being a certain way that may have little or nothing to do with who we actually are. So, this is one of the advantages I find of getting older. (laughs) As we get older, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, you know, we don't have the need to prove ourselves, we don't have to impress anybody. We don't have to be successful or popular or whatever. There's much more freedom to be who we are. In fact, I think sometimes, in in some ways, as we get older, we're sort of expected to be a little eccentric. <laughs> so I take advantage of that. <laughs> I know sometimes... I can tell, you know, I'm irritating somebody or whatever. And I don't mean to. but, And I try to be aware. But, but it's clear. Maybe, maybe I'm reading things into it sometimes. But, um, but it's very freeing to just be who I am. To just be and not have to be any certain thing or any certain way. I can just be. It makes it a very enjoyable time of life. And it gives me the freedom to not know, to have don't-know mind. Don't-know mind is, is uh, very valued in Buddhist practice. And we find, most of us, probably that that the more we learn, the more we realize how much we don't know. And that's wisdom, actually. When we're young, we think we know it all. And as we get older, we discover how much there is we don't know. And so we can learn to hold or to live the mystery You know, there's so many things about life I don't know, I don't understand. There's so much about death I don't understand. I have some ideas, but but I don't know. But I've become, over the years, so much more comfortable with the mystery. It's a mystery. I don't know, and I may not know until I get there. And at this point that 's okay I mean it's always fun to learn. I have a friend that um, that that belongs to a group where they discuss near death experiences, and she very much believes that the death experience is uh, will be uh, very wonderful. I suspect it will be too but who knows? There could be conditions under which it wouldn't be so wonderful. So I don't know, and I don't, I don't cling to that. I don't hold to that, that it will be wonderful. Maybe it will be, maybe it will not. So don't know mind or not knowing is not the same as pretending we don't know. Or turning away from something, you know, that's the definition of ignorance, to turn away, to refuse to know or learn something. Or in this day and age we we talk about alternative facts. <laughs> Is that the word I want? Alternative? Yeah, alternative. Is there another word? Yeah, anyway. Um, Having don't-know mind is having an open mind. It's like Suzuki Roshi said, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities. In the experts, there are few. And so don't-know mind is like beginner's mind. We're open. And there are many, many possibilities. When we get to be an expert, then we tend to close down. We see things in a very limited way. So can we keep our expertise open and allow for many possibilities? Holding don't know mind or acknowledging we don't know can be very authentic, it can be a way of living with integrity. Sometimes people pretend they know when they don't. There's there's a saying, um, uh, I believe in the Dhammapada, you know, those that speak a lot don't know. Those that don't speak know. <laughs> now, granted, that's not always true, but it points to something that so often... It is true that people that don't really know are the ones that say a lot. And when somebody knows, they don't they don't have a need to say a lot. So can we speak and act with integrity? And when we know, we can say something, and when we don't know, we can acknowledge that we don't know. So living with authenticity living a truthful life means that we're willing to grow to change to let go of old ways old ideas old whatever relationships and be open to new Our ideas and our views, our beliefs, can guide us, but they don't have to limit us. They don't have to entrap us. We can live freely, walk lightly, and leave no trace. This is a saying from Zen, to leave no trace. We can be of service. We can walk through this life very wisely and leave no trace. Somehow that greatly appeals to me. I've always loved that saying. Many people don't. So I want to end on a light note. I have a very short little story to read you. This is um, from a talk that Ajahn Pasno gave, Ajahn Pasno is is the, uh, I guess he's co-abbot at Abayagiri up in Ukiah, a lovely man, his teacher was Ajahn Chah in Thailand, and he's talking about views and um, ideas, I think this also fits very well for being our true selves, Ajahn Chah used to illustrate this tendency by using the simile of ducks and chickens. A villager seeing ducks and chickens may start to think and wonder. These ducks walk funny. They're not very dignified. Why aren't they more like chickens? Chickens can walk and run really well. Ducks make this funny noise, quack, quack. It's not a very beautiful sound at all. Why can't they sound more like chickens? Chickens can crow and everything. We spend a lot of time and energy asking and demanding. Why aren't ducks more like chickens? Ducks should be more like chickens if you start really investigating um, the feelings of anxiety, worries, and aversions that we have, it all amounts to trying to make ducks more like chickens and trying to make chickens like ducks. It is such an extraordinary waste of time and energy and actually kind of stupid but we do it all the time. And we justify it and become righteous because it feels right. Probably you can all (laughs) relate to that too, right? Whether it's our views or whether it's ourselves. You know, why can't I be more like so-and-so? Why can't you be more like me? Why can't ducks be more like chickens and why can't chickens be more like ducks? (laughs) Why can't roses be more like dandelions or <laughs> daisies or whatever? Instead of accepting life as it is, us as well, accepting ourselves and life on life's terms, just as it is. <laughs> So we have a few minutes. Um, I'd like to hear from you. Comments, questions, thoughts? Duck and chicken stories. What does this bring up for you? What is what is your authentic reaction?
0: Well, you are talking you were tra- you were talking a bit about um, respecting another person's view, and I see a lot of that happening because you refer to modern affairs. Uh, like this idea of false equivalency. So when you brought up fake news, um, what are your thoughts about when something is demonstrably false, like the world being flat, yet there is this <laughs> movement that there are flat earthers and there's this movement and the internet helps propagate these kinds of things. Um, just curious your thoughts on that. Uh, as it relates to truth. As
1: what? As it
0: relates to truth and seeking truth. and You know, how do you interact with, that kind of energy—that's obviously awful, but There's so much power behind.
1: It. That's a challenge—a <laughs> real challenge. Um, but I think the same applies. That no matter how, of course, it's different if it's somebody we're talking to, and it's if it's somebody that's in charge of our country. <laughs> um, but I think no matter how outlandish we can listen to people and we can ask questions and let them explain themselves. And sometimes, not always of course, but sometimes as we're explaining ourselves we hear ourselves in a different way and and we can change our mind. Actually I remember many years ago learning... Um, uh, from somebody at Stanford, that people tend to change their minds when they're talking. Is it, yeah, isn't it? We think, you know, we need to give information and then people will change their minds. But it's not true. People change when they're talking. Is, there's a difference when you hear yourself. You know, I, I have realized thoughts running around in my head can seem one way, but when I go to express them, oh <laughs> they can sound very different. yeah so you know of course it's a challenge, but um, but allowing people to express their views, however outrageous, rather than fighting arguing which usually doesn't get us anywhere except into trouble you know yeah
0: um i just had a response to share concerning the ducks and the chickens <laughs> which is that if you were to put the two fowl in a body of water a different set of attributes would show themselves
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah wouldn't they? yeah that's all i got <laughs> Now we tend to think that that there is a truth and that it's absolute, and that might be true on the absolute level, but on this relative level. I don't think there is a truth. There are many truths, and I think each of us is a reflection of a part of the truth.
0: So
1: Maybe. (laughs) We often laugh about how, you know, two people can observe the same event, say an automobile accident, and come up with two different views on how it happened and who's to blame depending on where they were and sometimes depending on their state of mind or their perspective or... I mean, we see it all the time, right? Not with automobiles, but... um, I was just listening to NPR on the way up say the death penalty, you know? Intelligent, well-meaning people can have very, very different views about the death penalty. Buddhists (laughs) can have very different views about the death penalty.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking uh, because sometimes I do shut up. Sometimes I just can't listen to certain views are certain, especially the more Mm -hmm. so-called alternative, whatever. But lately I've been thinking about, okay, a way to listen is where are they coming from, what's going on Mm -hmm. behind it. You know, and that starts to get more interesting because if you really, and maybe you can find some aspects of it, well, why is that seen as true from this angle? And that leads to more wisdom, whatever. So that's one way. Right. I think of dealing with some of that phenomena I'm seeing so
1: Yes, that's right. Thank you for that that's That's very true. When we really listen to somebody and we know um, how they arrived at what they're thinking or how they came to that, it can make a big difference. We may not still agree, oh, yeah. but at least yeah, at least we don't have to. Shut them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we'd like, right? We'd like somebody <laughs> to listen to us and acknowledge that we have a point, we have a perspective. They don't have to agree, but to just acknowledge that um, that we're not crazy, that we can see things a little bit differently. We need a lot more of that right now, don't we? (laughs) Okay, anything else before we close? Okay, well, thank you all. And just a reminder, as I said at the very beginning, please let this be the beginning or the catalyst for you to explore truth authenticity what does that mean to you how do you live authentically and and how do you follow the quest for truth what does that mean to you <laughs>